God being our refuge. So the title of today's message is Rock Solid, God Our Mighty Fortress. Now, some of you may be going through some stuff right now. Some may be dealing with sicknesses, monetary issues, may have lost your job, may have marital issues, may have problems with your children. Because when you go through trials and tribulations, it's supposed to grow us in a way that is more like Christ. That's why it says in Romans 5, 3, it says rejoice in tribulation. Who wants to rejoice during that time? Nobody. And as you see your pastor, Pastor Frank, going through the book of Philippians, where you see the underlying theme is joy in what? Suffering. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Paul was in prison when he wrote that. Well, the interesting thing when this was written, Psalm 46... This was written during the prophetic ministry of Isaiah. The entire Near East lived in fear of the Assyrians. Why do you think Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites? Because they were Assyrian. They were brutal and barbaric people. Chop your heads off. Put it on pikes. When they conquered a nation, they raped and pillaged. That's where you got the Samaritans from because they were half-bloods. That's why the Jews didn't want to associate with them, because they were half Assyrian and half Jew. They weren't even allowed to build, help rebuild the temple after the Persian conquest. And they used psychological and physical threats to weaken and destroy their opponents. They would often surround the cities and send messengers into them to taunt the people and encourage them to surrender. If the people did not, the Assyrians would then invade, setting houses on fire, murdering, raping the inhabitants. See, Isaiah already watched as this happened in Israel. And the messenger was sent from the king of Assyria to Hezekiah telling him to surrender. And that's in Isaiah 37, 17 to 20 in the king of Assyria also sent messengers to tell the people that no God had ever saved anyone from him. You know what King Hezekiah did? He got on his knees and started praying. It seemed like the Assyrian king would prevail. But when Hezekiah begged God on his face, God sent an angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. That is the power of our God. So, as we dig in to Psalm 46, the Word of God says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The earth, the Lord of hosts, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord, who was made desolation in the earth. He makes war seize to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So, in praying for this, I did not know the war was going on. And this was, you know, obviously put together before that. But it's interesting timing, I would say. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, Holy Spirit does interesting things. So as we dig into our passage, there's some people that used to go to the 46th Psalm. Now, some of you may not know the woman on the right and the man on the left. Right right and left, right, for you? <laughs> well, this is Elizabeth, and that's Jim Elliot. So, there, Elizabeth Elliot lost two of her husbands, by the way. Two of her husbands. The first was very famous, Jim Elliot. He died while attempting to bring the gospel to the Indians in Ecuador when they killed them. And Elizabeth's second husband, Addison Leach, who was slowly consumed by cancer, she related these two tragic events and experiences and referred to the 46th Psalm. Everything that must seem almost dependable has given way. Mountains are falling, earth is reeling. In such a time, it is profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaking, one thing is not. God is not shaken, she said. This was a psalm that many of the early reformers went to because of the times of trouble. Because they broke away from the Catholic Church. And guess what? There was a lot of persecution. So they went to the 46th Psalm. And I'm urging you today, if you are dealing with various issues, depression is at all-time high. Anxiety is at all-time high. Suicide is at an all-time high. Divorce is at an all-time high. Biblical marriage is not really a thing anymore. You know what I've been hearing a lot? Polyamorous relationships. I'm like, dude, just read anything from Solomon. You know it's a bad idea. 700 wives, 300 concubines, there's 999 things he did wrong. Right? Like, come on. So as we dive into our first point, his protection makes us courageous. So the first thing we're going to see is strength. We're going to see strength right off the bat. In verse 1 it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. First we see the source of our refuge. It is God. So what we understand about God is that he is eternal. 
right? He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-good. So the source of our refuge is the creator and sustainer of all things. When we seek a refuge, we're seeking shelter for something. So if we're seeking shelter for something in times of trouble, don't we want that refuge, that shelter, to remain in place, to work? We don't want it to get knocked down. Remember Hurricane Sandy? What happened to some houses? They floated away. Some of them got knocked down. Some of them floated away. Very present. Refuge is from God. So the strength of our refuge has eternal strength in it. Now the length of our refuge is eternal. Because throughout this text, do we have the Assyrian conquest? Or you have Hezekiah praying and then the Assyrian king running away? Yeah. But there's also end times perspectives on this. There's a lot of allusions to the end times. So the length of our refuge is essentially eternal. Because when you go home to be with the Lord, you have an eternal refuge in heaven. Nothing can bother you. Nothing can stop you because Satan is thrown into the lake of fire in the end times. And then you have the immediacy of our refuge, a very present help in trouble. We love things instant, don't we? Amazon, one day shipping. I know two days not good enough anymore. We got to get the one day. We got to get the next day, right? We want things now. Well, we have this immediate present of help in trouble because we have an all-present God. He's omnipresent. It means he's all-present. He lives without and within his creation. And then we have the necessity of our refuge. I don't know about you. The things I'm seeing now are crazy. This world is nuts. We need a refuge and we're commanded to go and see that refuge. Because we'll find refuge in so many other things, won't we? We'll binge watch something on Netflix or something else. Don't lie, you know you did it last night. <laughs> what else will we do? Alcohol, drugs, phones. Hey, who's scrolling? I don't see anyone scrolling. No. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. We'll zone out. No, we're called to go find and seek God's face and seek him as a refuge. Here's what Isaiah 40 verses 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we see spiritual strength, an endless supply of strength. An endless supply of strength from God. Very similarly, what you're going through on Sundays with Pastor Frank, right? You see the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked three times, almost stoned to death. Well, actually, he saw heaven, didn't mention it, so technically he was dead, came back. 
spiritual strength of men like Isaiah or Hezekiah. You see that through all the scriptures. They always sought God. It was never on their own strength. The heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 all relied on God. That is pleasing to him when you rely on him. So we have spiritual strength, but also there's physical strength that comes about in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I wish people would read the verse right before Philippians 4 to 13. It's amazing. I call it the coffee cup verse. You know why? It's like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be a millionaire. No, that's not what it means. Guy was in prison. He was being obedient to God. You can, be, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when you're being obedient to God. When you're being obedient, yes. So he does give us physical strength to keep moving forward. Now we see stability. Stability. In verses 2 and 3. Where the first verse says, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Every time you see a therefore, you wonder why it's therefore. That's, it's, Every time in this Bible, that's all you got to do. Just read right before that, right? Therefore, we will not fear because we have that eternal, strong fortress and refuge that is immovable. The reason we need this strong fortress is because we can run to that refuge at any moment especially when we feel like the world around us is crashing down. Have you ever felt that the world is crashing down around you? Some of us have really experienced that. We've seen natural disaster, a global pandemic, devastating diagnosis. Each of us at times will feel as if our entire world is falling apart. Go back to Elizabeth Elliot. Two husbands. George Mueller. Very faithful man. First wife dies, does the funeral. His daughter dies, does the funeral. His second wife dies, does the funeral. And then at 80 years old, he becomes a missionary. I don't know, man. That's a lot. <laughs> But he was a faithful man. But I'm sure at times he felt like his entire world was falling apart. So when this psalm was written, imagine the Assyrian king outside the gates of Israel. Don't you feel like your world would be crashing down? Imagine somebody was trying to invade the United States. Would you not be fearful? That refuge that gives us courage and strength through everything, even in the chaos, it is good enough. 
to handle whatever fear we may have. The protection of the Lord makes us courageous and strong. Here's what Matthew 16, 18 says. But I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Remember when I said there's a historical aspect to this? Well, this is a last things, end times perspective. Israel is God's chosen nation. It's not America, sorry. No. Not in anywhere in last times, Revelation, not there. But, you know what they do talk about though? The church. The church. The church. The ecclesia. Right? That means the assembly, the congregation, the church. The church are people. It's not the building. We are we have a refuge, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And we have an eternal dwelling refuge that we will see when we go to heaven. He will protect us and has protected us. Now we go to our second point. His presence makes us glad. So first we have this river that they're talking about, the river. Why is that significant? Well, we'll see. In verse 3, it says, Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So, we see a contrast versus three and four, don't we? We have a roaring waters and then calm rivers. Chaos and calmness. Rather than destruction, this river offers rejoicing. Now, do you know in Jerusalem, there's no river that flows through it? There is none that flows through it. But before we get into the last times part, Here's what Psalm 23, 1 and 2 respond to. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. The still here represents rest and security. Rest and security. The very concept of peace. Shalom. There's two aspects to shalom. Peace with God and peace inside yourself. Because before you're a believer, you're an enemy of God. When you become a believer, you're an adopted child. You're grafted into the fold. You're an ambassador. He protects you so that you have a refuge and a peace. In Isaiah 66 verse 12 for thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her side, shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. 
in Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, and for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. This, although it was written in the Old Testament, this is about the last temple. So then he brought back, and you see a flowing water. Now Israel doesn't, there's, in Jerusalem, there's no river that goes through it. But here he's talking about the eternal temple. Here's what Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2 say. And then he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So we have peace and refuge in the end times because in Revelation 21 and 22, they're talking about the new heaven, the new earth, the Jerusalem coming down. They talk, that's eternity, those two chapters. That's what it describes. So now we have the rock. Now the rock is not mentioned, but the stability of God is. This rock is permanent. In verse 5 of Psalm 46, it says, God is in the midst of her. He, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Break of dawn is when usually attacks happen. Early in the morning, break of dawn. That's when they're going to come and try to invade. So he's saying at the most vulnerable time, that's when you're going to attack. Now think about it. If someone, typically they had people on watch, on the towers, people were watching this. When do you start to get tired? If you were up all night, break of dawn. Between 2 and 5 a.m., that's when people hated doing watch when I was in the military. They hated that. You know why? Because that's when you're the most tired. Doing something at 11 o'clock at night is not so bad. But waking up, people are groggy. So that's when you're the most vulnerable. So at the break of dawn, God shall help her. So in your most vulnerable state, God will help you. And we have power. In verse 6, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Kingdoms fall at the sound of God's voice. This shows how God is all powerful. There is none like him. We have a God that speaks things into existence. And removes nations. Now where it says, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. That is with reference to the kingdoms that, refer, uh, that will melt according to God's voice. 
now, but if we were to look at it from an end times perspective, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, it says, But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, that what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening to coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. New heaven and new earth. And everything melts away. Now here's what Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says. And now I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. God gives us a new heaven and new earth. Everything is changed. We are in glorified bodies. At this point. Satan is once again thrown into the lake of fire. There is no more sin. There is no more sorrow. There is no more crying. Because don't you have to cry? Don't you suffer and feel pain? Imagine a life of eternity that is nothing like that. And even though we may be dealing with some hard things right now, It's not eternal. Our God is, and our dwelling place is. And that's our refuge. Now it's personal. In verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The all-powerful God is with his people. It says that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You are temples of the Holy Spirit. God is with you, literally always. But a better translation for this word for refuge is actually fortress. Now, when we think of a fortress, we think high walls. Remember the walls of Jericho? They had to walk around it seven times, blow horns, yell, and then all of them came down. But they were afraid to go to Jericho, right? Why? Because they see big walls. It was impenetrable. Not for God. So we have, so the God of Jacob is our fortress. God has his people in this very safe fortress. Now, wouldn't you feel safe in a fortress? Let's, let's say there's a war going on right now here in America. And you went to the most secure location in America. Would you feel safe, generally? Yeah, you're like, yes. Yes, I would feel absolutely safe to be in this fortress that was impenetrable. My question to you, though, is why don't we seek God as our fortress? Why do we seek refuge in other things? Why do we seek refuge in our phones, in Google, in our jobs? 
Many people want to go to work. You know why? Because they don't want to be married. Seriously, they'd rather go to work. Isn't that crazy? I would, I would rather stay home, personally. <laughs> right? But if we have this very secure refuge that you can access, every one of us can access it, why wouldn't we use it in our times of trouble? Because we're so focused on the war and the chaos, we forget that we just need to turn to God and he will protect us. We forget that consistently because we have literally looked at everything else except for him. So this links directly back to the opening verses that God is our refuge and our ever-present help. You don't have to wait. It's better than Amazon. Psalm 62 verse 2 says, the only, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Notice, He only is my rock. He is exclusive. God is David's rock. He is my defense. There is one. You can't have two. Sorry. You can't have two. You can't have three. You can't have four. It's not like making your way. doesn't work that way. God is either your defense and refuge or he is not. Now, as we look at this fortress, here's what Revelation 21 verse 12 says. Also, she had a great and high wall, like a fortress, right? With 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So, these, so the New Jerusalem has these great high walls, like a fortress. See how you see the end times now and the illusions in this psalm? Now, the interesting thing here is this is the one time we don't need great and high walls. Yet, he still shows us protection in eternity. Number three, his position makes us rest. So, now we have the rule. In verses 8 to 9 in Psalm 46, it says, Come, behold, the works of the Lord... Who has made desolations in the earth, he makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. So we like to look at Jesus as, you know, baby Jesus in Christmas. Okay? Well, I'm going to explain to you. He does not come as a peacemaker here. He comes as a conquering king. He conquers nations. And he has conquered kingdoms. He has conquered death. And he will ultimately conquer all evil in this world. This is the warning to anyone who wants to conquer the world and go against God's people. 
you've seen nations rise and fall. Specifically in the Old Testament, right? You had the Assyrian conquest at one point, protected Hezekiah, but then you had the Babylonian conquest. Then you had the Medo-Persian conquest. And then you had the Greek conquest, which is not mentioned in Scripture technically, with Alexander the Great. And then you had the Roman conquest. There's a lot of conquests. A lot of people dying. A lot of war. But God still made Israel a nation again. Because God is our ultimate fortress and refuge. Here's what it says in Revelation 19, 11 to 16 about Jesus when he comes back. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Remember, he came in Holy Week on a what? A donkey. It was actually a baby donkey, a colt. So that comes with peace. The horse comes for war. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were, wore many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress. You may not understand that concept, but a winepress crushes grapes, right? Okay. Now... He will crush and blood will flow. It's not, we don't want that for people. We want people that be saved, right? But that's what will ultimately happen when you go against God. So he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no king like him. There is no Lord like him. He is the greatest of all kings. He's the greatest of all lords. So, that's exactly what happened in Psalm 46 and right before that with the Assyrian king. 185,000 soldiers killed in one night by one angel. I don't know about you, that's, that's crazy to me. Now the respect. In verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still does not mean sit on your butt and do nothing. Does not mean that, no. Doesn't mean be quiet. It means cease and desist. Stop doing what you're already doing. 
stop. When you do experience quiet and calm and stop doing what you were doing and be still, you stop your own frantic activity. Because when we see chaos, what do we want to do? We want to react. You either, you either start fighting or you run. Fight or flight, right? Or you go into the fatal fetal position and you just sit there. You freeze. When we stop our frantic activity, that's when we really experience God and know who he is. That's why in Romans 5, 3 through 5, you rejoice in tribulation. It produces perseverance and perseverance character. Now, the word for character in the Greek in Romans 5 means proof, proven character. So when we go through perseverance and, and go through troubles and trials, we persevere to the end because it creates a character that is like Christ. So when we stop our minds going 100 miles an hour, stop doing what we're doing, that's when we have that true experience with God. Because then you have sought him as your refuge. You have sought him as your king. You have sought him as your eternal savior. He is the one that protects you. He is your defense. He is your rock. He is your everything. He is not to play second to anybody. And he is a personal God, not like the other gods. Not like the 330 million gods of Hinduism. I feel bad for the guy that actually had to count them. Feel bad for him. Pray. But the God of Islam, Allah, he's not a personal God, is he? This God came and dwelt among us. He became flesh and died on a cross for our sins. He communicates with us. And that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be still, cease and desist, stop doing what you're doing, and seek his face. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Every knee will recognize that he is the God of everything. Now we have the refuge. In verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We have a commander that is stronger than any other commander, any other general, any other king, any other president, and any warrior in the entire world. He rules over us, over all the armies of the world and in heaven. The fact that God is our place of safety. He is our fortress. This is Israel's testimony. They saw it. They experienced it. They, and we are to learn from this testimony of Hezekiah. 
And we are to live with a settled assurance that even if the gates of hell were tried to prevail against us, that God is a fortress to protect us from all fears and cannot be defeated or conquered. We have a fortress that is impenetrable. Now there is something more important in life than life than life or living itself. There's actually something worth dying for. That is why Jesus went to the cross. He had to die for your sins, for my sins, for everyone's sins. Because we cannot pay the cost of our sins. But we are called to live faithfully through this life no matter what the circumstances are. Your circumstances don't determine your mindset or your attitude. You control your thoughts. You know that, right? You control your thoughts. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So if the word of God discerns that, that means you're in control of it. And you're guilty of the bad thoughts. So, we live in a world that is falling apart. We get that. It's been falling apart for a long time. Once again, we're called to live faithfully. And because without God, life is just a series of breaths taken without meaning. So life has no meaning without God. You have five big questions in life. Ready? Origin. Where do we come from? Identity. Who am I? Meaning. Why am I here? Morality. What's the difference between good and evil? And destiny. Where do I go after I die? See, we are consumed with lavish meals and they are a distraction from a self-centered existence. Life with God is not being dependent on life as we know it, but in the life with a transcending God who meets all of our needs here on earth and in eternity. That is our fortress. That is our refuge. That is the God that we serve. And we need to be obedient to that God and not ourselves. The last verse, in Revelation 21, 4 to 6. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Seek him as your refuge. Now you may be here you may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can guarantee you that if you have lived this life long enough, 
you have dealt with pain, you have dealt with suffering, you have lost someone close to you through something fallen in this world. You may be diagnosed with something, something terminal. I've been speaking with a gentleman who is 80 years old and has questions about where he goes after he dies. 80 years old. And he's been reading the Bible. He's been reading the book of Revelation specifically. So I've been answering a lot of questions about the book of Revelation. He understands that this, life is meaningless without God. I want to know who God is. And if you want to know who God is, there are pastors here, there are elders here, there's deacons and deaconesses here, there's ministry leaders here, there are people, and the person that brought you here, they have some answers for you. But I urge you, whether believer or not believer, seek the Lord Jesus Christ as your refuge. And I promise you, your entire life will be changed. And your hope is not just immediate, it is eternal. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful time together. We thank you for your word. As we look to you as our king, our fortress, our Lord, our leader of our lives, I pray that we are more obedient to your word, that in these very times of trouble, Lord, that we do not lose sight of who you are. We seek your majesty and your grace. As you have given us an answer to sin, and you sent your son, I pray for Israel again, Lord, that we cry out to you, we cry out for all those who have lost someone in this war. I pray for the leadership that you give them knowledge and wisdom. And then, Lord, you ultimately put your divine protection over them. I pray for each person here, Lord. Those who do not know you, that they come and understand that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they put their faith in you. And then you are the solution to the ultimate problem of death from sin. In Jesus' name, amen.